All right, so today, together, we are going to study Genesis, and we are in chapter 15, right? And the title of our message today is Anchor Your Life on the Promise of God, all right? So we'll divide our study into four parts. The first part will be about the faith of Abraham. We will take a look at, you know, how... God called him. We'll just basically review what Abraham's faith is like. And then the second thing we'll look at is God's covenant with Abraham and what that means. The third thing we'll look at is the new covenant that God gives to us. And the last part, we'll take a look at what that means, what the implications are for our daily living. Uh, let's pray again before we start. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can study it together. We just pray, Father, that you reveal yourself to us. We need you, Lord. I need you. We need to hear from you. We need to be refreshed. We need, we need to see you in a new light, Lord. We, we pray, Father, that you just speak to us, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that because of Jesus, we can expect to hear from you. Thank you, Lord, in, Jesus, in his name, we only pray. Amen. All right. The faith of Abraham. So, are there any good people in the Bible? How many? One. Who? Jesus. Yes. So, that being said, Abraham was just a guy, a normal guy like us, right? You know, he, just, he was living in Ur of the Chaldees doing what people in Ur of the Chaldees did, right? And that is, I don't know. Um, so he's just this guy living in Ur, you know, just going about his business. And one day, God shows up, right, out of the blue, choosing him for no apparent reason. And he says to him, it, you know, in Genesis chapter 12, basically, go leave your house and I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you, make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then I will bless um, the whole world through you, right? So out of the blue, God gives him this great promise, right? Great promise. And what happens? He follows God. He just he leaves home. Okay, I'll, I'll take you up in your offer, Lord. Sounds good. Did he have great faith to begin with? Right? A closer reading of the text, as we've been doing the last few weeks, reveals some some of his indiscretions, right? And there are plenty more to come. He, you know, he doubts God here and there. He does something off here and there, right? But what do we notice with Abraham? When it came to the big things in his life, the great trials, the things that, you know, that you know, would shatter a normal person, what happened? He showed great faith, right? When it came down to the big things, like when he had to... When he had to do something major, he showed faith, right? He showed a form of mastery where, you know, it seemed like the situation didn't rule over him, but rather he mastered the situation, right? Um, he was not overwhelmed, but he was calm, and he responded with obedience to God and faith, right? He was a cool guy when it came down to high-pressure situations. He had faith. So the question is, what is the secret 
right? Can we learn to live like him during the tough times, right? Can we show a form of, of uh, mastery when it comes down to it? Um, so in Hebrews chapter 6, right, it gives us a clue as to, you know, how he's able to have mastery over really bad situations, right? So let's read this together. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no, other, no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. So when God decided to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So what Hebrews is saying is that Abraham had an anchor, right? And that anchor right, helped him not be tossed and turned by the waves of life, right? Storms of life. So here we have a little diagram, right? That's showing how an anchor works. So you have a boat, obviously, not a plane. Although, can you anger? No, anyway, uh, so you have a boat, and you need to have water, right? Yeah, you need water. So the boat's on the water, and then there's a bed beneath the, the water. So the anchor helps the boat be stable, right? Stay in place. Um, now the anchor, right? The anchor is only as good as the thing it latches onto, right? So if the anchor only latches onto water, what happens? You know, your ship could be like, what, on the coast of California one day, the next day you're in Africa, right? You'll be, you'll be swept away by the waves. Um, so the illustration with, with the anchor is, the idea is that your anchor has to hold on to something that is stable, that is strong, right? Water ebbs and flows. Um, in, the, in this analogy, basically, you know, water pertains to things in life that go away, right? If your anchor, if your, your life's anchor is latched onto water, it could be a relationship, it could be career, um, it could be people, family, all these things are water, right? Even the best person who loves you unconditionally one day will die, will pass away. So if your anchor is a person, no, no bueno. If, you're, if your anchor is a relationship, oh, what if you get dumped, right, Sean? Uh, what happens? No, no, Sean has, and I have a history of talking about relationships. I got dumped once, too. It's okay, it happens, it happens, it happens. Guys, it happens, but that does not, not mean you should not take, a ch take chances, but, you know, it happens. You know. <laughs> anyway, if, if your anger is or the point, if your anger is a relationship, that could go away, and so on and so forth. What happens when these things go away? Then our identity goes away. Then we have we have to start over. We have to find something to. Okay, I need to anchor onto that. And then it goes away. 
Abraham sank his anchor into the bed of rocks beneath the water, and that is God, right? God doesn't change. The songs we sang this morning talks about that. They talk about how God stays the same forever, right? So his anchor was firmly on God, right? So the question today is, what is your anchor, right? Let's look, um, let's look at, what, you know, as we are studying the passage today, let's try to be a little um, introspective at the same time. Let's, while we're reading through the scripture, let's think about what it is we cling to, and then, you know, try to think about it withstanding a storm, right? But I submit to you, like Abraham, we should anchor our lives on the promise of God. This is the main point for today, so this is our thesis. We have to anchor our lives on the promise of God. Say it with me. Anchor your life on the promise of God. Right? And it will be stable. The end. <laughs> All right. So, so, Abraham anchored his life on God's promise. But as we said earlier, he was just a regular guy just like us, right? And he had doubts, fears, worries, and concerns. So let's take a look at how God sank his anchor. God helped him, and we need God's help to do this. God helped him to you know, really sink that anchor down into the rocks. What did God do? God did something for Abraham. And it was hinted at in the, um, in the passage we read in Hebrews chapter 6. It said there, God convinced Abraham, convinced the people he gave a promise to that I'm going to do it. So how did God do it for Abraham? So God basically enters into a covenant with Abraham, right? So let's read Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And he brought him outside. God brought him outside. Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? See, even then, even at that point, Abraham had doubts and fears. Right? Because God... It's funny how God calls Abraham because he, he will just call him. Basically, uh, I was listening to Tim Keller and he said, you know, he was trying to, trying to systematize, you know, the life of Abraham. So basically God says, um, hey, come follow me. I'll give you land. And Abraham says, where, Lord? I'll show you. Just go. I'll give you a son. Where, Lord? I'll, I'll, give, him to, I'll give him to you. Just show up. Come. And then I'll make you a father of a great nation. Really, Lord, yep, kill your son. I'll do it. So he, he gave Abraham all these weird, um, almost nonsensical commands, but Abraham just went for it. But he wasn't this, you know, strong rock of faith. 
as we read the text, we see that you know, he had questions, right? Much like you and I have questions today, whenever we read something about, let's say, I don't know, me personally, I read something about tithing, and it's, really, Lord, how do I know that this is really your will? You know, stuff like that. When it, whenever it's rough, when the command is rough, really, Lord, I have to love that person? Really? <laughs> so, we have these questions, but then at the end of the day, we obey whenever God convinces us. So, how did God convince Abraham? Let's take a look. Um, he says to him, okay, actually, before we go there, um, the way God convinces Abraham is he signs a covenant. Before we read the text, let's talk about this briefly. Um, today, how do you ensure that you will keep your word? What do you do? Like if you're leasing a house or you're a contract, right? And then you sign that contract with your name, right? So by placing your name on this sheet of paper, legal document, you're saying that you promise to abide by the rules or suffer, face the consequences, right? That's how it works. So in the time of Abraham, they did not have contracts, only covenants, right? So when we read this passage, let's read this passage. Um, he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So, what happens here? Um, is this passage weird? Yes, right? When I was reading through the Bible when I was a kid, this was really interesting to me because everything was seemingly, when you read the life of Abram, everything's like action-packed. Last week was, last week he rescued Lot, right? So yeah, yeah, and then you get to this part. What is this, right? A high, it's just a weird conversation between Abram and God. So what happens here is God actually, God doesn't explain anything and Abraham seems to understand what was going on, right? He just goes and does it. So what they're doing here is they're actually starting a covenant ceremony. So God tells Abraham to prepare a covenant ceremony. So the covenant ceremony is basically how they signed their agreements back in the day. They don't do it by writing on a piece of paper and signing. They did this thing, this weird thing, right? Um, so covenant. Uh, the root word of covenant comes from the Hebrew word berith, to eat with, right? So in that day, eating with someone meant that you're, you're signifying mutual obligation. So people just didn't eat with anybody, you know? It was a big thing. That's why <clears throat> when Jesus ate with the Pharisees, oh, not the Pharisees, the sinners, the Pharisees were all, whoa, what are you doing? Why are you eating with those people? Because you're identifying with someone in their time, in that culture, when you ate with them, right? So if I invite you to lunch, that means I'm, no, I'm just kidding, this, it's different for us. But, anyway, um, um, so a covenant is when two parties, again, contract, come to equal terms, right? So 
You have a covenant when you have a mar marriage, political alliance, so on and so forth. Or it could be a one-sided deposition imposed by a superior party. So let's say if Nate Miguel had a land and Sean conquered that land, he will make him do the covenant ceremony to swear allegiance to him. You are now a vassal of Sean land. I am now your lord, so you will do this. So what did they do? Um, essentially, right, I'm sorry, this image is very graphic, but we need to capture the spirit of this because this is very important. You kill the animals, you cut them in half, you arrange them a certain way where there's space between the, the animals, right? And what you did was you walked through them. You walked through the dead carcasses, the dead animals cut in half. And basically what you say is, like let's say Nate, he surrendered to Sean, he will say, Oh, Lord Sean, may I always obey and abide by your rules, or may I be cut in half like these animals? So it was just a graphic way of you saying before everyone legally that you're going to abide by the rules of the covenant. Otherwise, may you be cut in half. May you be torn to pieces. May you be shred to pieces, right? So if I, you know, if, I put myself in Abraham's shoes, I would be frightened, I would be terrified, because I would think to myself, oh my gosh, God has finally had enough of my questions, right? I've been questioning him this whole time, now he's going to make me swear allegiance to him because I'm such a doubtful person, right? That's probably what have, you know, would have gone through my mind. But then, you know, what transpires afterwards is really quite shocking, right? Um, you know, in our Bible studies, we always say that, you know, all things in the Bible point to Jesus, right? Everything from the Old Testament, the Old Testament foreshadows and prophesies Jesus coming. The Gospels, they tell of his life. The letters, the epistles, they um, explain what Jesus has done. And Revelations. Uh, talks about his return, right? So this whole thing actually is a foreshadowing of God, what God will do with Jesus. But so anyway, um, the, what happens next is crazy. So let's read this text again. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. Let's stop there. So what is a deep sleep here? He didn't really pass out. So the scholars say the translation is actually a trance. So I was reading commentaries on this. This happened, the same thing I think happened to Solomon when he was prophesying. You know, there was, uh, not, not Saul, Saul, King Saul. He was prophesying, he, he goes on a trance, he starts prophesying right before he becomes king. It's the same thing. He, he just, you know, he becomes unaware of what's going on. He, he just, he's in a trance, right? So God puts Abraham in a trance, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Um, the people who go to our study, uh, Lance, Lance goes to our study, and this Brian here. Yet again, he is not here. Um, we are now studying uh, the fear of the Lord. We're doing a series by Francis Chan, and Francis Chan says, you know, every time God is encountered in the Bible. It's not this cool thing where, oh, God's here, I'm so, I'm so amazed, whoa. No, it's not like that at all. 
every time God shows up, people are afraid. It is terrifying to see God. Uh, so much so that in our sinful state, we can't see God face to face. Otherwise, we would burn. We would die. Right? So what happens here is a great and dreadful darkness fell upon so Everything goes dark. And then the Lord says to Abraham, the Lord basically prophesies him a few dark things that will happen to his descendants. But what's interesting here in verse 13 is he says, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs. When God is talking to Abraham, again, he re-emphasizes his promise that he will make him to a great nation. He just, he just goes for it. Okay, your descendants, they're going to be enslaved, but I will rescue them and I will save them. So God reiterates his promise again, right? And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. So God's talking about Israel and Egypt. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God was going to use the Israelites to judge the people living in Canaan, right? When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and he names different peoples towards the end. So what happens there? Right? So if we go back to the verse, I always you know, found this uh, the, verse 17, it says, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between these pieces. I always imagine like a little clay pot and a torch floating, kind of funny, you know. <laughs> it's a pot, it's floating. And that would still be terrifying, don't, don't get me wrong. If you see a floating pot, you'd run for it, right? Um, actually, what the scholars say is that the, 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 the pot and the torch is actually something like like a form of energy, like a bolt of lightning coming down and it holds its form. So it's like orb-like with, with stuff coming out of it. It's not a pot. It's, it, it's a form of energy that comes down. So that is God showing up as this form of energy. And what does he do? Right? So we talked about how when you sign the, the, the contract, the covenant, you pass through the pieces, right? So if you're the Lord in the covenant, normally you don't pass through. It's the, the weaker person in the, in the treaty that passes through. Maybe you pass through after the weaker guy passes through. So you also say, hey, I'm going to keep my end of the deal as well. But it never happens. It never, it never works where you know, it's the actual Lord that walks through. right? So in this instance, what God did was he was the one as this form of energy that he's the one who passes through the dead animals. And that is crazy, right? Think about it. It's crazy, right? What was God saying to Abraham? What was God saying when he passed through the dead animals? He was saying, I promise to bless you and the world, right? To keep his promise. God's promise was to bless Abraham and the world through Abraham. He was saying, I promise to bless you and the world, even if it means I have to tear myself apart. 
even if it means I die, I will bless you. I will do this. This is my signature. I promise that I will make you into the great nation and through your line, someone will come and he will bless the world. What is this? This points to Jesus. And this, you know, this is a foreshadowing of something greater. Right? Some, someone greater to come. If you guys study Galatians, that's Pastor and Song and Mind's favorite book in the New Testament. Probably because it's the only book I know. I'm just kidding. Um, it talks there about Abraham's seed, and it's singular. Right? So there's this one guy from Abraham's line, and it was promised, even in the garden, if you remember our studies from earlier, it was promised that you know, the seed of the woman will come. So what God was doing was he was, you know, paving the way for his son, right? And that brings us to the new covenant. So it's good for Abraham that God gave him this promise. It changed him, right? That was, that was the, the covenant, that ceremony was the rock that, heard, uh, that, um, that had his anchor firm, firmly in, in, in place, Right? He, he wasn't, you know, that's why whenever, whenever God asked him to do something after this incident, he was, I'll do it. He wasn't perfect, but he did it because God swore by himself. Right? It gave him boldness to obey because in Hebrews, he's, it says, um, when, you know, we'll get to this in a few weeks, I guess, when he had to sacrifice his son. It says there, he believed God so much that he was willing to do it. Why? Because he thought that, oh, if I kill my son, God will just bring him back to life. Because he understood this promise, that God said, I will do what I have promised to do, even if it means I die. Right? So it's good for, it's good for Abraham that he has his covenant with God, but what about us today? Right? So let's talk about the new covenant. Um, we're going to read from Jeremiah. Jeremiah, basically in this passage, begins to talk about, or actually the Lord through Jeremiah says that one day he'll make a new covenant. So let's read through this. This is pretty good. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand, to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. For they shall know, all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So, through Jeremiah, God was already saying that, hey, I'm going to make a new covenant with you guys. Not like the one I did with your fathers. So, what he was referring to, let's look at these um, things that I wrote down here. So, God makes a covenant with Abraham, right? That is specific to Abraham. And then he makes a new covenant, which he gives through Moses. That is what? The law, the ten it's not actually 10, it's more than 10, but the commandments, 10 commandments and all the other stuff attached to it. So the first covenant 
with Abraham is a promise of blessing for Abraham and the rest of us, right? It is a foreshadowing of the new covenant. Who is the sole signatory in that covenant? God. God alone. The covenant of works, the covenant of the law, it was given to Moses and to the Israelites. How does that work? So basically that says, if you obey all of my commands 100%, I will dwell with you, right? That is, if you read through Exodus and Deuteronomy, that is the whole point of contention there. God dwelling with the Israelites. Many times God will say over and over, you guys are so stubborn, I don't want to live with you, right? So the covenant of works um, has to do with the law. And if you fail to obey anything in there, he will forsake you, right? Who were the signatories there? The Israelites and God. The new covenant, which is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham in the world, God in that covenant restores himself men and will dwell with them. So who is the sole signatory there? God. So when did he sign this new covenant? Today we are doing communion, so um, I think to put it in context is pretty nice. Let's read uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 19 to 20. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. Um, Jesus here is basically saying, You guys cannot keep the law. Right? If I cannot relate to you as God, I cannot relate to you based on your performance. Right? Because the Israelites were the case study for that. God gave them commands. All of God's commands are good. All these commands were meant so that they had the perfect society. Do you guys know that if they obeyed fully what the law said, um, there were supposedly, there should be no poor people in their society? Right? Stuff like that. Every seven years, they redistribute the wealth and everything's fine. But they couldn't keep it. Even though it was good, they could not keep it. And we can't keep the law, right? We can't keep the law. If somebody puts a sign that, you know, the paint is wet, don't touch, I will verify if it is actually wet. That is our nature. That is our sinful nature. We just want to do what we do on our terms whenever we want, right? So God cannot relate to us by our works, right? Because our works are not enough. We cannot do anything perfectly. So God had to make a new covenant. And what does that covenant say? Right? I will restore you to myself. Right? Even if it means I tear myself apart. Even if it means I die. And that is what Jesus did on the cross. Right? Whenever we break the bread, right? It's not literally... Pastor Ensong was saying earlier, well, not one of his bones were broken. It's true. But figuratively speaking, when we break the bread, we remember Jesus and that his flesh was torn, right? So that 
we may return to him. Whenever we drink the juice or the wine in certain cases, we remember that Jesus' blood was spilled like those animals that Abraham slaughtered. Jesus was slaughtered. He was torn to pieces because he loves us and he wants us to be restored to him. Right? On the cross, that's what happens. God, Jesus says it here plainly, right? This is the new covenant in my blood. Right? That is what happens on the cross. So when we, whenever we surrender, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, you know, make him our Lord and Savior, what happens is we enter into the new covenant, right? And that new covenant basically says, you know, we are in relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. It's not because we were good, like all the gospel tracts you ever read will say, you know, we're all sinners. We all fall short, right? And God saves us by virtue of himself. There's, you know, there's no, um, he didn't one day look upon Lance and said, oh, Lance is such a good guy. I have to save him. No, I, no. <laughs> it's not true. Um, right? When God sees us, we're all sinners, right? Before we came here to church, before we knew Christ, we were sinners, and even today, even though we're in the new covenant, we still sin, right? So anything that has to do with relating to God has to go through Jesus, right? So Christ, let's read Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is any, everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So because of what Jesus has done, the blessing of Abraham is, not, is now ours. And what is the blessing of Abraham? Is it wealth? Is it you live till you're 90? Is it you have a kid when you're 90? Is it you have a great nation? No, that's not the blessing. The blessing, the blessing is God dwelt with Abraham. What is one of Abraham's famous titles? The friend of God. Abraham, the friend of God. That is the blessing. No, the blessing is not we'll get a new job, we'll get a new girlfriend, we'll, we'll have a good life. Jesus even, you know, talking about claiming the promises of God. Here's one promise that Jesus gave. Jesus promised that we will suffer like he suffered. You like that promise? Do you claim that? No? Nobody claims it? I don't like claiming it. Lord, I claim your, the other promises, not that one. Um, but the, the real blessing is that God will be with us no matter what, right? No matter what your classmates say, no matter what your coworkers say, there is somebody that loves you unconditionally. Somebody who sees the real you, sees all your sin, all the nasty bits, and says, regardless, I love you. You are mine, right? And isn't that the love that we all long for anyway? That's why I shower. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um, right? Who is the promised blessing? Jesus. Right? Actually, if we go back to Galatians, 
It says here, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So the promised spirit through faith, the Holy Spirit, means God dwells with us every day. He's with us. When you're crying, when you're alone, He's there. When, you know, when everything is going wrong, He's there. When everything's going right, He's there. Um, that's the point. You know, the beauty of God's presence Jesus is the promised blessing. So anchor your life on the promise of God. Anchor your life on Christ. Let's read this together. Jesus is the promised blessing. Anchor your life on the promise of God. Anchor your life on Christ. That's why I worded it specifically here. It says the promise of God. Um, Some people, you know... When we become Christians, we have Christianese. Ever heard of that term, Christianese? We just say things because it sounds Christian. One one of the worst Christianese phrases out there is, oh, you claim God's promise. Claim his promises. Claim all of them. You know God promises to destroy people? Certain people? You know that, right? It's it's tricky because when you really carefully study God's word, you, you realize that some promises were general promises meant for everyone. Some promises are specific for certain people. And then, so it, some, you know, some passages are descriptive. They just describe something that, you know, if God, I promise to destroy this people and all of, that's the specific. And then there are general promises where I will bless you and everyone. Um, it's hard to, you know, to, if, if you're up for it, maybe you make a catalog of all the promises. But, you know, all of these things are peripheral. They're, they're side things. The real promise is actually Jesus, right? And we don't anchor, you know, behind Jesus is the weight of God's love, right? We don't want to anchor, you know, our lives on one verse that's probably out of context, right? We want to anchor ourselves on Christ. You see, what happens is when you anchor your life on Christ, no matter what comes, no matter, you know, even if you're facing death, even if you're facing the worst tragedy you can never imagine, um, God will be there and he will give you peace. Amen? Amen. Right? That's better than, uh, um, you know, nitpicking and claiming random promises and then it doesn't happen because God didn't promise it to you anyway. Right? So, Let's talk about covenant living. How do we live in light of the covenant of God? So how does that transform our Christian lives? How does that work for us today? So knowing that, you know, it all rests on Jesus, how does that change us? Number one, it gives us absolute security. Absolute security. What does that mean? I think I was talking to Kuya Peter one time in this living room, and we were talking about, you know, when he, was, he first became a Christian, he heard this teaching where your salvation is not secure. You have to, you know, perform in order to maintain God's love for you. Well, that doesn't work, right? Because who is the sole signatory of the new covenant? Jesus, right? So whose responsibility is it to keep the covenant? Jesus. It's not ours. So 
Now we can live our lives when we do have a genuine, a real relationship with Jesus, right? That's what you have to make sure of, that you really know Jesus. You can be secure. You, you, know, you can know that you know, God will love you no matter what, right? And that goes for going to heaven, right? One day you can be with God. And at the same time, it goes for daily living. You can be secure. You know, insecure people, they're terrible to be with, right? They're annoying. They're needy. They're always like, me, let's talk about me. Right now, I feel about talking about me. I'm so great, right? <laughs> insecure people. Uh, I have an idea. Let's talk about me. Um, be, why do people do that? Why do we do that? You know, we have days where we do that. That's why I have Instagram. Um, <laughs> look at how cool I am. We do that because we don't know what we're worth, right? We don't know our value. We need to be, we need to be assured that we're worth something, right? That's why we do it. That's why I have Facebook. But when we understand how God loves us, that it is covenant, that it is sealed, it's 100% guaranteed that God loves you, that this being who created all things loves you, you can be fine. You can be secure. You don't have to be the guy who gets noticed at work. You don't have to be with the cool people at school. You don't have to try so hard anymore because you're secure, right? You're secure. And that leads to, that security to, should lead to passionate obedience. Passionate obedience. What does that mean? Well, personally, before I knew about this, before I knew about covenant theology, um, my obedience was so bad because it was, it had to do with me keeping God happy, right? Whenever I failed, I felt as if I let God down and that he will love me no longer, right? But when, when I realized that God's love for me was not based on me, but, it was, but it's based on what he has done alone in Christ alone, my obedience changed. Because I knew I was loved no matter what, obeying God became more of a, a passion. Because how can you not give your loyalty to a God who loves you this way? Right? How can you not obey Him? Because He's so good. And he took our sins upon Himself. So it creates a passion. Once you understand that God loves you because He loves you, that's it you begin to obey Him out of a passionate heart. And also leads to a life of repentance, right? You ever wonder why we always pray in Jesus' name? Right? Because we're actually, we're, we're trying to remember that we're in covenant. Whenever we ask for something, we say, in Jesus' name, because we acknowledge, we acknowledge that, that you know, we can only even talk to God because of Jesus, right? And the same goes for, for when we make mistakes. You know, repentance, asking God to forgive you, is merely realigning yourself with God's covenant. It's coming to God and say, you say, hey, Lord, I, I blew it today. I, I lost my temper. I, I lied or something. And, but Lord, I come back to you based on your covenant, based on what you have done for me. Please forgive me and allow me to move forward. That will become part of our lives. No, because really the truth is when we see how God, God loves us, it is really humbling, right? 
Jesus was killed by people like us. You know, who are we to touch, even lay a hand on the one who made all things, the one who's bigger than everything, right? We can't even stand in his presence, and yet he allowed us to kill him. Um, so it leads to a life of repentance. Lastly, it leads to preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. What does that mean? Because in evangelical circles now, what happens is, you know, we basically look at the gospel as a tool for evangelism. We don't see the need for it in our daily lives, right? We need the gospel every day. Because what is the gospel? The new covenant that Jesus gave to us. What happened? So, do you remember when you first came to know Jesus? I remember, and I threw away my CD collection of rock music. <laughs> I wanted to obey Jesus. Oh, Lord, I don't want to listen to Metallica anymore. That's what I did. Well, to me, I didn't care how much the CDs cost because Jesus was... You can listen to rock, by the way. But, but Jesus... For a while, that collection was important to me, but Jesus became more important because I saw how much he loved me, that he took the wrath that was meant for me and, and he, he bore it for me. And so, you know, I had this zeal, I had this desire, I had this passion. Yes, amen, I'll obey the Lord. I volunteered for music ministry. I started to... And then a, a, a few months later, a few years later, it, the passion died. And, and I was... I went back to my old ways and I wasn't sure if God loved me and so on and so forth. I forgot about the gospel, basically. I thought I had to keep you know, being good in order for God to love me. The consequence of that, though, was instead of obeying God more, I found myself uh, alienating myself from God more because I thought I had to be good first before I can come back to God. That is why we preach the gospel to ourselves. Like Jesus said, today we are preaching the gospel to ourselves when we take communion. Because we're going to remember today, oh, Jesus broke his body for me. He spilled his blood for me. And you remember it when you take communion. When you pray, actually all of the spiritual disciplines are designed so that when we worship, when we sing our songs, when we do anything that has to do with Christianity, all these things are designed so that we remember what God has done for us, right? Because we forget. We forget so easily, right? Sometimes I read my Bible and 20 minutes later, I'm already murdering someone in my mind, right? That's how we are. We're evil. We're not yet perfect. One day, the Lord will complete His work in us. But for now, we preach the gospel to ourselves. Um, when we do accountability, let's say me and Lance, the way we go about it is I ask, he asks me hard questions, I ask him the hard questions, but then we circle back to the gospel. So let's say Lance is living a certain way that's not good. Lance, why are you doing that? What about the gospel have you forgotten that makes you want to live that way? Didn't Jesus promise this to you? So you don't have to live like that. You don't have to go do... Okay, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> but you get the point, right? When we do discipleship, discipleship is about Jesus. We're following Christ, right? The Apostle Paul basically says, follow me as I follow Christ. 
So we do everything. We, 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 we meet together because we want to remember what Jesus has done. We want to remember what Jesus has done, and we live in light of that. So, today's message. Anchor your life on the promise of God. Anchor your life on Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, that we can come and pray to you. We can come here and gather and be in your presence. Lord, we acknowledge today that this is all only because of Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, we don't deserve anything from you. We're all just sinful and broken people. But Lord, you've, you've chosen to die for us. So we thank you. I pray for all of us here, Lord. I pray that if we are in a relationship with you, Lord, help us to remember every day what you have done, what it cost, so that, Lord, we may live lives that are pleasing to you. Lord, if there are some of us here today who don't know you yet or aren't committed to you yet, I pray for them, Lord, that they see your love, Lord, that it is the most stable thing. Lord, no one loves like you do. No one loves like you do. And we thank you, Lord, for, for that love, that we have it through Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have given us, all the good, all the bad, because we know, we know, Lord, that in the end, because of what you've done on the cross, because, Lord Jesus, of what you've done on the cross, all the good things and all the bad things will make sense. You will make all things right. We thank you, Lord, that we can be assured of that promise because you spilled your blood and you broke your body so that we may live. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your kindness. In Jesus' name, we humbly pray. Amen. Can we show those four points that our brother Adrian did? Absolute security. You can only claim absolute security if you're absolutely in Christ. Not religion, not CCF, but in the person of Jesus Christ. If you are in Jesus Christ, then you are absolutely secured. Because you are in Christ, and he says that we disciple everyone to have the passionate desire to obey. It's not for you and I to maintain the grace of God. But it is a response to the love of God and the grace of God that we passionately obey. And if you are passionately obeying because we are not perfect, when we do fall into sin, we repent and get back to God. And for us to be able to improve in our Christian life, we need to remind ourselves of the gospel. Why am I even thinking of doing this when my Lord died for this sin that I'm thinking about? This morning, we celebrate the new covenant in the blood and in the body of Christ. The Lord's table is not to be taken flippantly. It is a serious matter before the Lord. And He says that if you partake, of the elements of the juice and the bread in an unworthy manner, you're playing around with God. So before we partake, I would like to ask all of you to allow the Holy Spirit to search all of our hearts.
and answer two questions. Number one, have I come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I have him into my life as my own personal Lord and Savior? If the answer is no, you can invite him right here, right now. And just humble yourself before God and say, God, I am not worthy of what you have done for me. But I accept your grace. I accept your love. Second, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the covenant, a commitment that you will live for Christ, covenant living as our brother Adrian has challenged us, not live for yourselves, not live for other people, but live for Christ. All of the other things God will take care of. So I would ask you, all of us, to make this a solemn time. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. And allow the Holy Spirit to move in this place and in all of our hearts. And to show us, Lord, are you in my life? If the answer is no, ask the Lord. Just say, Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner and I am far apart, far away from you. Will you come into my life? Forgive me of my sins and make me the kind of Christian you want me to be. If Jesus Christ is already there as your Savior, perhaps now is the time to make Him your Lord. And just commit between you and God. God, I am weak, but you are strong. And I need your Holy Spirit to live a victorious Christian life. Give me that desire, that passion to obey you. To always repent. To always run away from, from temptation and sin. And God, help me to remind myself always that you are the anchor of my life, that Christ is the one who sacrificed for the salvation of my soul and the forgiveness of my sins. And pray to the Lord whatever you want to speak to Him this morning. And if you want to make any kind of commitment, any kind of covenant to God, come up to the front. Take the element of the blood which signifies the forgiveness of your sin. Take the element of that piece of bread which signifies the body of the Lord Jesus Christ upon which He bore all of our sins. Reflect on what Jesus Christ has done. Rejoice that your sins are forgiven only in Christ. Rejoice that you don't need to maintain by your obedience, but you are completely forgiven past, present, and future. Come. Come to the table of mercy and partake. Take of the bread. Take of the juice. Partake and continue to be in an attitude of prayer as the others come and partake.
Lord, we take this piece of bread, which is a symbol of your body, upon which you took all the sins of mankind. You gave up your body, Lord God. It was torn apart just so that the covenant could be completed. Lord, we remember. We remember you. You hung on that cross where we should have hung. You did it because you love us. We love you back, Lord Jesus. Let's partake of the bread. In the same way, you took the cup of wine, which represents your blood. As we take the cup of the juice this morning, let this juice remind us of the shed blood of Jesus. For without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Jesus, that you shed your blood, your precious, unblemished blood, for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, God the Father, that when you look at us, sinful as we still are, you don't see us anymore. You see the blood of Jesus. Let the blood remind us, be our motivation to run away from sin and run to you. We rejoice, we remember, and we give thanks. Let's partake of the juice together. God Almighty, what a privilege we have to worship you in so many ways. Singing to you, learning about what you're doing in our lives through the ministries that you're giving us. Worshiping you through the study of the word. Worshiping you, Lord, through the Lord's Supper. How can we doubt, Lord God, any of your promises to us? You are good. We are not. You are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We are faithless at times, but you remain faithful because you cannot disown yourself. God, we just want to tell you how much we thank you. We just want to tell you how much we love you. And we just want to tell you, Lord God, that we appreciate everything that you do for us on a daily basis. God, teach us to hate sin by reminding us this morning that Jesus Christ gave up His body and shed His blood for that sin. Teach us, Lord. Help us, Lord, through the Spirit of Christ that lives in us to trust You, not to trust ourselves, not to trust the world, but to trust our anchor, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.